0: Let me get this straight. Humans can go to jail for missing church where they don't even want to go, Max stated. This be daft! It sounds just like how the Romans wouldn't allow the Christians to worship. At least there be no lions in Colosseums here in America to throw the dissenters to. No real lions? The British lion is very real and seeks to silence some Christians. There is no freedom of religion in this colony. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, Keep in mind, you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderofthe7.com. On today's episode, we'll bring you chapter five from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key. And we'll hear from our author friend, Jenny L. Cody, as she ponders if each of us was born when we were, for specific time and purpose. Hmm, that'll stretch us. I, uh, I didn't mean literally. I, I, uh, Max, could you not do that? I'm, I'm still introducing the podcast. Uh, fine, I'll just take a wee nap then. But we're getting ready to... I, <laughs> wake up, Max, come on. Wake up! This show is about to start. Indeed, old boy. I say, uh, up and Adam. Hey, uh, hey, up and Adam. Let Adam get up, and let me get some sleep. Anyway, here are your hosts, Liz, Nigel, and uh, Max. Well, old chap, as they say, uh, uh, two out of three ain't bad. Come on, Max. Ah, it is of no use. Perhaps we should uh, go to the newsroom early, no? Well, my pet, honestly, today's topic might come better after we've all had a chance to wake up. We are all right awake, except for sleeping Scotty over here. Well, uh, uh, jolly good, then. Uh, I shall scurry on over to my news desk. Uh, that's what we mice do, you know. We scurry. Well then, mon ami, scurry in a hurry, s'il vous plaît. Uh, right. Monsieur announcer, uh, cue up the news theme. On it! And uh, Max, did you want to... Never mind. Uh, music? And now, once again, we take you to the newsroom for today's edition of Nigel's News Nuggets. Thank you, Liz. Greetings. Nigel P. Monaco here with an historical news nugget feature today. You weren't there, but I was. We take you now to 18th century America with a closer look at, uh, um, uh, pardon me, uh, Liz... Are you certain that you want me to proceed with... the uh... oui, Nigel. I cannot wake him up. So talk. Uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. News, news, news. Uh, right. Uh, well, today we take a look at... at beds and mattresses of the 1700s, how our colonial forefathers uh, slept. Seriously, mon ami? I'm afraid that is what I had prepared for today's chapter. <laughs> oh, the irony. Well, then. It seems our colonial ancestors slept much more organically, shall we say, than we, for before bed frames and springs were made of steel, long before memory foam and whatnot, natural materials were used. The frames, or bedsteads, were built of sturdy wood, with ropes or leather straps crisscrossed to the sides of the frame to form an area that, uh, that, uh, gently... "'cradled the mattress above. Uh, "'This was known as sacking, "'which, of course, may have helped coin the phrase, uh, uh, "'time to hit the sack.' Uh, "'Pardon me. Uh, "'Next came uh, layers of bedding, "'the first a uh, cushion, "'usually comprised of cloth stuffed with straw, "'corn husks, or horsehair, "'for firm, uh, gentle support.' "'and upon that would be a mattress "'comprised of soft feathers "'and down primarily from geese, "'along with... uh, uh, "'along with uh, cushy, down-filled pillows, "'and then cotton or linen sheets "'and various forms of comfy, warm coverlets, "'quilts, embroidered rugs were all used.' To cover one snugly and warmly, in slumbering bliss. Uh, for, for for Nigel's news nuggets, I'm Nigel P. Uh, that uh, Nigel P. Monaco from the newsroom. And, uh, boy, it's always fascinating to hear how people lived in historical times. Right, Liz? Liz? Uh, Max? Mm. Well, it uh, seems like a great time to continue our story of The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key. And, thankfully, today we bring you Chapter 5, entitled... GREAT AWAKENINGS! (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) uh, 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 Chapter 5. GREAT AWAKENINGS John Henry filled the end of his white clay pipe with tobacco while he listened to his brother, the Reverend Patrick Henry. Young Patrick was named for this beloved uncle, who had followed John from Scotland and had become the pastor of St. Paul's Parish here in Hanover County. They sat on opposite wooden benches in the shady garden on this warm Virginia afternoon. Reverend Henry was sharing the latest news about some of the local dissenters who chose not to attend the required services at his Anglican church. I tell you, John, this Samuel Morris and his Morris Reading house will only stir up more trouble for the Anglican church, Uncle Patrick fumed in his Scottish brogue. Once he shared the printed sermon... Of that Methodist preacher George Whitfield, the people can't get enough of this New Light teaching. Whitfield's preaching has taken America by storm, and I fear that the church will lose control of maintaining social order and the civility of the people. The established church is what keeps morality and decency in line, not this Great Awakening. From what I hear. The people become an emotional mob as they hear these sermons and are struck to the heart, crying out, what shall we do? Patrick entered the garden and immediately noticed that his father and uncle were having a serious discussion. He knew he needed to respectfully remain quiet and not disturb them, so he sat down on a tree stump to listen and learn. Max and Liz stayed behind young Patrick, lying down in the cool grass. Nigel stayed hidden between them. "'What was the person rambling on about?' "'Max asked. "'I thought America were the place of freedom "'for humans to worship as they please. "'Weren't that the main reason "'why the humans came over to the colonies?' "'Not necessarily, old boy,' Nigel answered. "'It is quite the complicated situation.' "'You see, while some of the thirteen colonies "'were indeed funded for religious freedom, "'this was not the case for them all,' Liz offered. "'Virginia was the first colony,' "'Founded in 1607, but it was a business venture "'by a group of investors known as the Virginia Company. "'It had nothing to do with religious freedom.' "'Max, allow me to help you understand all of this "'by rewinding history a bit.' "'Nigel offered, adjusting his spectacles. "'Right. England has been a Protestant country "'since it broke away from the Roman Catholic Church "'under the rule of King Henry VIII in 1534.' He formed the Anglican Church and appointed himself as the sole rightful ruler of this new Church of England. Many English Christians dissented, meaning they disagreed with either the beliefs or practices of the Church. It was quite the nasty business. Sadly, those Catholics who still believed the Pope was the head of the Church were treated harshly. Max frowned. What a mess! Oh, it gets far worse, I assure you. While the English Catholics were persecuted, some of the English Protestants wanted to change or reform the Anglican Church and became what are called Puritans. Other English Protestants wanted to completely break away from the Anglican Church and set up their own churches, and they became known as Separatists. Oui, so then the Separatists also were persecuted in England and fled to the Netherlands, Liz interjected a group of them made an agreement with the Virginia Company to settle in Virginia, where they could practice their religion however they chose, uh, calling themselves Pilgrims, because their journey to America served a religious purpose. Right. But in 1620, their ship, the Mayflower, unintentionally landed not in Virginia, but much farther north, in Plymouth. Nigel went on, pointing up. This land was, of course, not within the territory and laws of the Virginia Company. But the Pilgrims decided to stay where they were and eventually founded the colony of Massachusetts in 1629. As each new colony was founded by various leaders and for different reasons, the 13 colonies developed entirely separate identities with different stances on the practice of religion, Liz explained. Massachusetts and Rhode Island were formed purely for religious freedom. Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Georgia were formed in part for religious freedom, but also for other reasons, such as selling land and trade. And the rest of the colonies, New Hampshire, New York, Delaware, New Jersey, North Carolina, South Carolina, were founded solely for reasons other than religious freedom which leads us back to the issue at hand in the colony of Virginia, Nigel continued. Virginia is a royal colony, and by law Virginians are members of the Anglican Church or Church of England. They are required to both attend worship and pay taxes to support the state church. This money pays the salaries for the clergy, builds and repairs church buildings, and supports the poor, orphans, and others in need. "'Virginia does not have an Anglican bishop, "'but the state church is governed by Virginia's General Assembly. "'Unfortunately, many of the ministers appointed to the churches across Virginia "'are uh, rather dull and do not inspire the people "'who are forced to listen to their boring sermons,' continued Nigel. "'Sadly, some of them are even poor moral examples "'as they engage in behavior unbefitting a shepherd.'" Of course, Reverend Henry does not fall into this last category, as he is an honest man of faith. The people do not want such dry sermons that have no depth or personal meaning, Liz lamented. I believe this Great Awakening movement sweeping across America is a good thing, no? The people are hungry for the hopeful teachings of Jesus. And they are hungry for the freedom to practice their faith however they choose, Nigel added. Aye, but the power hungry humans have made a mess of things, interjected an agitated Max. Jesus and his disciples made it so simple when they first set up the church. We saw it first hand. The Scotty frowned. What about that Whitfield preacher, then? He must be one of them dissenters. Liz nodded. This is true, Max. All the Protestant faiths that are not part of the Anglican Church are considered uh, dissenters, uh, Methodists, Baptists, Lutherans, uh, Presbyterians, Quakers, and any others. So here in Virginia, these groups are looked down upon and are discouraged from meeting. But uh, with so many immigrants uh, bringing these faiths to Virginia anyway, trouble is brewing for the state church. George Whitfield and other preachers are delivering the kind of sermons the people long to hear. So, even though they are required to attend the Church of England, many are choosing to disobey. They may be fined or even imprisoned for doing so. And Virginia's leaders are walking a fine line of tolerating some of these new preachers and groups who apply for permission to preach the way they do. Nigel further explained, The law requires dissenters to officially tell the courts they wish to dissent. They can practice their faith on a limited basis, but there is a catch. we only those who are part of the Church of England can hold political office, Liz added. So you see, if you wish to worship freely, you may, to a degree, but you then have no right to govern at any level. And dissenters still have to pay the taxes to the local parish church, even if they choose not to attend, Nigel added, crossing his arms over his chest. Like I said, it is a nasty business. Let me get this straight. Humans can go to jail for missing church where they don't even want to go. And Parson Henry thinks he has a right to be upset if they don't like his preaching, Max stated, finally understanding what the mess was all about. Uh, this be daft! It sounds just like how the Romans wouldn't allow the Christians to worship. At least there'd be no lions in Colosseums here in America for the leaders to throw the dissenters to. Liz frowned as she pondered Max's words. No real lions, mon ami, but the British lion is very real and seeks to silence some Christians. There is no freedom of religion in this colony. ''I understand your concern, brother, and I agree with you, of course,'' John Henry said, also with a Scottish accent. He puffed on his pipe and leaned over to rest his elbows on his knees. ''I've also learned that a Reverend William Robinson, a Presbyterian, so captured the hearts of the people of Hanover with his recent preaching that they gave him a large amount of money as a gift. He refused to accept it, but they would not take no for an answer.'' He sat back and rested his arms on the back of the bench. Robinson said he would only accept the money if he could use it to educate a young minister to send back to them here in Hanover. Uh, Samuel Davies, I think, was the name he gave them. Uncle Patrick wrinkled his brow. I see. So now the Presbyterians will have not only a reading house, but a preacher to go along with it as well. Just then, Patrick's mother joined the men in the garden. As she did so, the men cleared their throats and stopped talking. But Sarah had heard every word as she approached. "'And I suppose that means the world is coming to an end. Is that right?' she said with a flash of exasperation in her voice. "'The Presbyterians are fine Christians, and I happen to agree with what they teach.' "'Yes, I know your father, Isaac, is one of their dissenting followers,' Uncle Patrick said, holding up a hand to stop her from launching an all-out attack. "'Let's not debate this now.' Agreed, especially on young Patrick's birthday, Sarah whispered, leaning over to look the men in the eye with a stern expression. Let's keep this a day of happy celebration, not a day of religious war. I couldn't agree more, Sally, John answered, slapping his knee and sitting up straight to conclude the matter for that day. The animals looked at one another in surprise. Patrick's father and uncle agree with the Anglican church, while Patrick's mother sides with the dissenters. "'Nigel remarked. "'I say, this issue of religious freedom "'is playing out right in Patrick's own family.' "'Who is the lad caught in the middle?' "'Max added. "'Liz curled her tail up and down "'as she studied young Patrick. "'I wonder which side he will choose.' "'Where is my birthday namesake?' "'Uncle Patrick asked. "'Patrick stood up from the stump but didn't move. "'Here I am!' Sarah turned and smiled to see Patrick and the dog and cat next to him. Come here and introduce us to your new little friends. Patrick picked Liz up to carry her over to the adults. Max followed along behind, wagging his tail. I found these animals when I was fishing at the creek today. I've named this cat Liz and this dog Max. He looked his father in the eye. Mother said I could keep them. That I did. Sarah gave Liz a tender pat on the head. Hello there, Liz. Aren't you a pretty little thing? Bonjour, Sarah Henry, Liz meowed. I admire your zeal to speak your mind with these men. Kate would call it lassie power. She likes to talk, Patrick said with a grin. And look what we have here, a fine Scottish terrier, John Henry exclaimed, giving Max a rigorous scratch on the head. Patrick? Do you remember our Scotty back in Aberdeen? Aye, there was never a finer breed, Uncle Patrick replied, standing to hug his nephew. I'm glad for you, lad. Happy birthday, Patrick. Patrick closed his eyes and smiled. Thank you, Uncle. I told Patrick there was news from David in London, Sarah said, sitting down next to her husband on the bench and searching through the stack of mail on the table. She found what she was looking for and handed the sealed envelope to him. John, why don't you read us his letter? Of course, John replied, taking the letter and breaking the seal. Patrick sat on the ground with Max and Liz, who shared a grin as John started to read aloud. From David Henry, London, England, 23 March, 1743 to John Henry, Hanover County, Virginia. Greetings, cousin. I trust this letter finds you and yours well and prospering. I have just returned from a most miraculous evening. The great composer George F. Handel gave a sublime London debut of his new sacred oratorio called Messiah. I must say, I was moved greatly by the words comprised of prophetic texts from Isaiah and others and the gospel accounts of our Lord. It truly is the most remarkable music I have ever heard, and I pray that one day you will be able to hear it performed in the colony of Virginia. As Majesty, King George II was in attendance. He surprised the audience when he stood during an especially powerful part called the Hallelujah Chorus. I have obtained a copy of the libretto which was printed for the audience, and will enclose it herewith. I can only surmise that even the great King of England... Recognized the king who is sovereign even over his own rule. I pray our king never forgets this truth. As Isaiah's words about Messiah were powerfully relayed in song, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Despite the glory of the evening, I must tell you that Mr. Handel has experienced a backlash of persecution for this work, and who knows if it will ever become an oratorio that is played beyond a small number of performances this season. Handel went against London's religious elite, who criticised his choice of venue for such a sacred work, namely Covent Garden Theatre. How preposterous to attack such a magnificent, godly work for something so completely meaningless. A gentleman sat next to me in the performance, a Mr. Gilliman, and, as we discussed Mr. Handel's situation, he reminded me of John 1-5. If Messiah himself was misunderstood and persecuted when he came into the world, why should his followers not also be misunderstood and persecuted? In fact, our Lord said that this would indeed happen. I have been pondering those followers across time who have given voice to the truth and have come to realize something important. If only one voice of faith will rise up and speak, or sing, or write, using whatever gift the Lord has given him, the history of the world will be changed. I have been inspired to contemplate what my one voice can do and will do in this world for the good. I wish to impart that same thought to you, my cousin. You are over in the new world. Perhaps your one voice will change the history of America. Or even that fine young son of yours, young Patrick. Perhaps his one voice will rise up and change history. Time will tell, as it always does. "'I pray you give my best to your family, and may our Lord bless your endeavors. "'Your humble servant, David Henry.' Sarah beamed and leaned over to put her hand on Patrick's back. "'How wonderful that Cousin David mentioned you specifically, Patrick.' Ay, and what an inspiring word for you to hear, especially on your birthday,' John added, handing the letter to Patrick. "'I want you to keep this letter and read it from time to time, Patrick. "'I think it will be a good reminder.' that ye can achieve great things. Patrick took the letter in hand and put his finger on the line where he saw his name. He was just learning to read, so while he did not understand every word, he could pick out his name. He didn't say anything, but smiled and nodded. Your voice will indeed change the history of America, Liz meowed in exclamation. (laughs) I believe the cat has your tongue, Uncle Patrick quipped with a chuckle. Perhaps Liz will be like your Aaron, who served as Moses' voice when he could not speak to Pharaoh. Patrick smiled and stroked Liz, who was purring on the ground next to him. Perhaps. I am well qualified to do so, no? Liz meowed. Ay, seeing how you spoke to Pharaoh himself, lass, Max whispered to Liz. What an extraordinary story of the King of England standing during this concert, John remarked looking over the libretto David had included with the letter. You should have been there to see it in person, old boy, Nigel squeaked from under the bench as he listened in. He quickly covered his mouth so he would not be heard. Max dipped his head and spotted the little mouse and winked at him. Aye, it must be an extraordinary musical work, Uncle Patrick echoed. I do hope we can hear it ourselves one day. But how tragic that Mr. Handel has experienced persecution for his work From the religious elite!" Sarah noted with a convicting tone, staring right at the men. Here, Mr. Handel is expressing the same scripture preached by the Church of England, but in a different manner than the established church is used to, so he is persecuted for it. Uncle Patrick and John squirmed in their seats. It was a rather convicting scenario to hear, especially since they were just having a similar discussion about the dissenters who were doing the same thing here in Virginia. The dissenters simply desired to express their faith in a way that went against the British lion's way of doing things. The tension hung in the air like a cannonball. Liz beamed at Sarah's lassie power. Patrick remained quiet and didn't comment on this exchange between the adults. But David's words echoed in his mind. I pray our king never forgets this truth, as Isaiah's words about Messiah were powerfully relayed in song, The government shall be upon his shoulder. Sarah allowed the invisible cannonball to accomplish its work and then clapped her hands, smiling broadly. Well, no more squabbles today. Time to celebrate. Aye, Uncle Patrick exclaimed, relieved to change the subject. He stood up and hurried over to retrieve something from behind a small tree in the garden. Close your eyes, Patrick, and hold out your hands. Patrick did as he was told and sat back on his heels with his eyes closed. Sarah squeezed John's hand with joy as Uncle Patrick placed a brand new musket in the boy's outstretched hands. John smiled. Open your eyes, Patrick. Patrick couldn't believe his eyes. A musket? Is this mine? Aye, your very own gun, John answered happily. Your Uncle Patrick and I had it made just for you. It's time you learned to shoot. Thank you! I can't believe it! Patrick exclaimed, standing to hold the gun and stare down the barrel. It isn't loaded, Uncle Patrick told him, gently pushing the gun to point toward the ground. But always practice safety and never point it at anyone. Unless you mean to shoot them, John jested. Sarah playfully hit John in the shoulder. "'I hope he'll only ever have to use it for hunting. "'And who better to teach him how to hunt than my brother Bill?' "'She stood and leaned over to speak in Patrick's ear. "'Uncle Langelieu will have to take you hunting soon. "'For now, you'll have Max and a gun to guard against that panther.' "'I sure will,' Patrick replied with a grin, "'running his hand along the beautiful brown wood of his new gun. "'I love my new musket!' Sarah cupped her hand over her mouth and called out to everyone waiting outside the garden behind the boxwoods. You can bring it in now! Uncle Patrick took the musket from Patrick to hang on to for the moment. The sound of cheering filled the air as all the Henry children came running into the garden followed by a group of servants. Jane held the hands of her little sisters as they ran over to surround Patrick smothering him with hugs. Then they turned their attention to Max and Liz, were smothered with other pets. William carried little Susanna and handed her to his mother. Happy birthday, Patrick, everyone exclaimed. The oldest son, John, carried a wooden plate that held a birthday cake and placed it onto the table in front of him. Happy birthday, little brother. Patrick's eyes grew wide at this sudden surprise. For me? (laughs) I didn't tell you everything. Jane said, giggling as she hugged her big brother. So that's why I wasn't allowed near the kitchen today, Patrick said. I wondered why Mother said I could skip my chores and go fishing. Rose held a lantern and started using a lighting wick to light the seven skinny beeswax taper candles placed on the cake. Happy birthday, child. I hope you like this cake. I made it specially for you. Apple cinnamon with molasses. Patrick leaned over and hugged Rose. Thank you, Rose. I know I will. She was a slave who had been with the family for more than a decade and was very dear to all of them, but was especially dear to young Patrick. What happy thought will you wish to come true? Sarah asked her son as he got ready to blow out the candles. Patrick thought for a moment and grinned, but didn't say a word. He stole a glance with Liz and gave her a wink. He took in a deep breath and blew out the candles as his family applauded. John Henry picked up his fiddle and started playing a lively Scottish tune while Rose cut the cake for everyone. The girls giggled and danced as John and William each picked a little sister for a partner. Sarah bounced little Susanna on her knee, while Uncle Patrick and the servants clapped in time with the music. Max barked and jumped around happily with the children. ''Can I have this dance, little Jane?'' Patrick asked. Jane giggled. (laughs) ''Yes, big brother?'' Liz crawled under the bench to sit with Nigel as the family celebrated. There on the ground next to them was David's letter. Although they had traveled with Clary to deliver this letter to Virginia, none of them knew what was actually in it until today. This has been a happy day, mon ami, Liz told the little mouse. I never imagined that uh, what David wrote back on March 23rd would be so perfect for this specific day of May 29th. He did not realize he actually penned prophetic words about my Patrick. Quite so, my pet. The power of your Patrick's future voice must be one we cannot yet even imagine, foretold Nigel, preening his whiskers. No wonder the enemy wanted to keep that letter from reaching Virginia. He wanted to keep that prophecy sound asleep. Liz grinned as she watched Patrick twirl Jane around the garden. Oui. So now it is time for Patrick's voice to have a great awakening of its own. Uh, Now that might be the first time I ever completely disagreed with a Scotsman. Oh, you mean about you being a fine Scottish terrier? Aye. No, 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 no. I mean about the church going then. Well, at least you were awake that day. I'm wide awake now too, lad. We all are. I especially perked up when Mon Henry's mother let her voice be heard. Viva la Lassie Power! Indeed. Uh, but I must admit, I was fine when I arrived, but then all that reporting of, of mattresses and soft, cushy pillows and... Uh, don't start up again, mousie. I will all be droppin' like flies. I just had a rough time sleeping last night. I had one too many doggy treats before bed, and. Oh, oh, did you have that dream again? About eating a dinosaur? Aye, a brontosaurus. Oh, dear, talk about biting off more than you can chew, what? Well, anyway, as we now know, the great awakening being referred to actually pertained to the church. Aye. I- I knew a fella back home who had a great awakening in church. Max. Every Sunday, right about when the service were ending, Uh, Max. He'd ring them big bells and he'd jump out of his pew yelling, Max. Max? No, he'd yell, Amen. Well, (laughs) good show there, Max. uh, Thank you for regaling us with that amusing anecdote. It was just a funny story. That is a matter of opinion. Uh, Meanwhile, today, in our visit to Jenny's Corner, she will bring some perspective as to why little Patrick had to witness the religious differences within his family. I say there, Miss Jenny.
1: Hey, Nigel, welcome to the podcast.
0: Well, thank you. I assure you, being added to this superb production is my pleasure.
1: Nigel, you're the best addition we could have gotten for the podcast.
0: <sighs> this could go on a while, Eli, so it would seem. Nigel, what's going on? Okay, here we go. Well, it is my understanding that you're the one posing a rather intriguing question today, love. And that would be... I out with
1: it. Do you believe that you have been allowed to be born in this time and place for such a time as this in history? I believe that about everyone. And there could be no more perfect example than Patrick Henry because he was born right in the epicenter of where the Great Awakening was happening in the country. Now, in this chapter, I give you a lot of heavy background about religious freedom and persecution. And there's a misnomer that a lot of people think, oh, once everybody came to America, they were free to worship however they wanted to. Well, as you've heard, that's not the case. So religious freedom had to be fought for even here in America. Now, Patrick Henry was in a household where he was named for his uncle, Patrick Henry, who was of the Anglican Church. And his father, John, of course, was a member of that church too. But his mom, Sarah, chose to worship with the dissenter movement, with the Presbyterians. And so the War for Religious freedom raged right under Patrick Henry's roof. And so as a child, he was able to watch what was happening and hear the arguments for religious freedom on both sides. And so as he grew to become the voice of the revolution, to not only fight for religious freedom, and you're going to see in subsequent chapters how Patrick Henry defended the rights of pastors to preach the word of God as inspired by the word of God. And so that was kind of a really eye-opening thing to see that he was placed in this family, in this time of history, to learn and then to do something about it. One of the fun things about this story, again, my intention to detail, if I'm going to write something, it's got to be plausible fiction. I loved having Patrick Henry having a birthday and I had to see, hmm, when did birthday cakes first originate? And would you believe that the Romans, the ancient Romans, actually had birthday cakes, and it is believed that even the ancient Greeks put candles on birthday cakes. So that's not fiction. That's fact, coming all the way from ancient Rome to Patrick Henry's birthday in Hanover, Virginia, in 1743.
0: Well, thanks, Jenny. But boy, them Roman cakes must be pretty still by now. Well, I'd still eat them. Of course you would. You're a mouse. You'd eat just about anything. Aye, but I heard about them Roman candles. Now, you don't want any of them in your cake now. Kaboom! You could not have your cake and eat it too, then. At least not in one place. Touché. Uh, well, Mais me, I guess we should uh, wrap up the show, no? Well, that'd be the announcer lad's job. I say, uh, where is the old boy? I don't know. Uh, Monsieur Announcer, where are you? Here, lad. Finish the show. Well, finish the show. Ah, there you are. Monsieur. Oh, not you, too. I believe it was Chaucer who once penned Let Sleeping Dogs Lie. I agree, that. But. uh, What about announcer, lads? I know. Uh, Un, Dieu, toi. Wake wake up! up! Amen. I mean. Uh, Join us next time as we go back even further in time and uh, meet the patron saint of Scotland before there even was a Scotland, as Gilliman breaks out the old I am a sphere. Uh, uh, See you then. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and the Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandi Abiento, Mesemi. Huzzah! and Ta-Ta. And always remember, you are loved and you are able.